Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Pastor of Ministry Mobilization, Guy Smith. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. So Joe called me about a week, week and a half ago and asked me if I would, during this series of flourishing, if you'd bring a message about flourishing at work. And if any of you know me, that's, that's one of my sweet spots. I, I believe that every Christian should be the best worker wherever they work. I believe that. I think that as a Christian, I'll probably say this again, as a Christian, they should be, um, go up as high as they can in the workplace. Wherever they work, I, I think they uh, should be. So when he asked me to do this, I, I immediately went looking for some sources. And one of the things I found was an article um, from Dr. Ann uh, Bradley from the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. It's a really good website just about how to work in these types of environments. I want to read out. I hate reading like long stuff except for the Bible on the stage, but I, I think this is really, really appropriate as we talk about flourishing, especially in work. She writes, there's a universe, universal longing a desire transcending tribe, tongue, and nation that sits at the core of every human heart. It's a desire for thriving, for blessedness, for full life, for flourishing. Creation, as God intended it, is a state of flourishing. Adam and Eve walked right in a right relationship with God. Everything was as it was supposed to be. Then humanity fell into sin, and God has been calling Christians to work toward reweaving flourishing ever since. Flourishing begins with the work of redemption God undertakes in our souls. He restores us to right relationship with him. We're all in need of a little restoration. When we figure out what God made us for and how we are to fit into his big picture of restoration, that's when we truly flourish. It doesn't end there, though. Flourishing is more about our personal redemption or finding our calling. Knowing God is glorified when his creation flourishes we work for the flourishing of others out of a gratitude and desire to spread his glory throughout the earth. When we serve other people with God-given gifts, talents, time, and resources, we help them flourish. So what does flourishing look like? It's when the wilderness becomes fruitful. It's when justice dwells. It's when righteous abides. It's when people live peacefully. Flourishing is happiness. It's joy, it's a fullness of life, it's wholeness, it's abundance. Flourishing seeks the welfare of the city. It promotes a common, the common good. It radiates God's kingdom on earth. Flourishing means becoming everything we were created to be. Full flourishing will only be realized with the second coming of Christ and the consummation of his kingdom. It's what we hope for. It's what each of us longs for deep in our hearts. So as we flourish, so I would be remiss if um, I would take a step back because I didn't give you the proper intro that I gave the first service because I just jumped into what I was saying. So I was talking to Elizabeth. Where's Elizabeth? She went somewhere. So how many, how many baseball fans do we have in here? Baseball fans. One, two, three. Less in this service than the second. In the first one, there's two. So how many of y'all know that there's baseball in the Bible? 
One, that's it. Thank you. Genesis 1-1, in the big inning. In the big inning. Terrible, terrible hermeneutics. But as we leap off and we start talking about flourishing work, I just had to say that. So let me just go back. As we talk about flourishing and work, as we talk about work, it's, it's one of my, as Joe would say, it's one of my sweet spots. And for this reason, so before I was a Christian, many, many years ago, and I was in the Navy, um, I was an average sailor, if you will. Um, so when they rate you, they rate you on a scale from zero to 4.0 being, being the best or being one that strives to be best. I was at 3.4, 3.5. I was a hard worker, but at times I was uh, anti, maybe. I was, as my wife would say, I'm con- I was contrary. I still have some contrariness to me. So I was not the best sailor, if you will. Um, overseas, I was, in, we were, we were station- I was on my ship over in Bahrain. I'd gotten some trouble with me and two other guys. Um, I won't go into a detail about that, but they considered it an in- international incident. Um, so that's a whole different story for another time. So anyway, the night before I was standing in front of the captain, the next day the captain was going to stand, we were standing in front of the captain and we were going to go through the call, um, captain's mast where he was going to, he's judge and jury. They get all the information and he's judge and jury. So I assumed they were going to take half my month's base pay for two months, which wasn't a whole lot. They were going to reduce me in rank. I'd just been promoted to E5. So that was a big step back. And also, he was going to take, he was going to make me um, do extra work and stay on board extra, which is not a big deal because we're overseas. But as I'm laying in my rack the night before, I'm thinking to myself, there is no way that my wife of probably a little over a year, less than a year, something like that, and our young son were going to stick with me, a man who couldn't even provide for his family. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm ruining my life. I'm throwing it away. Gonna, he's going to take half my month's salary. He's going to take rank, which is basically more pay. Why would my wife and my son stay with me? Why, why would they do that? So I laid my rack, and I had a book called The Word. It was the Bible paraphrase. I read some of that, and I just cried out to God, saying, God, you need to save me. You need to help me because I'm ruining my life. And I cried myself to sleep because I was so afraid and so scared that, that my wife and my son were just going to leave me because I'm not a good provider. The next day, we're standing in front of the captain, and the captain looks at me. I'm standing here. It was me and the other two guys. I was the senior petty officer, whatever. I'm not a big deal, but I'm standing here, and he looks at me. He goes, I'm going to take your, I'm going to take your rank. I'm reducing rank. I'm going to take half your month's salary for two months, and you're going to be confined to the ship and extra duty for 45 days. As I'm standing here, as he's saying the exact same thing to the other two guys, I'm thinking to myself, I've lost my wife. I have to tell her this. I have to tell her her paycheck, my paycheck, is cut in half for two months. How is she going to pay the rent? So all these thoughts are going through my mind. Well, he comes back to me and says, I'm going to suspend that bust. I'm going to suspend all of it except for the extra duty, which means he's going to hold it over my head for six months. So if I'm messed up in six months, he's going to start taking that off right away and then more. At that moment, I knew God had saved me from myself. He showed his grace and mercy to me, and I knew, you know, I shouted out that I was saved. 
Well, again, going back to I wasn't a great sailor, so my next evaluations were three sixes, three eights, so they were going the positive way. The next time I had were four O's. doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means that I can, I'm adequate. I know what I'm doing for my rank and my knowledge base. I never got anything less. God made a difference in my life through my work, and I feel really called to help other people make a difference where they work. That's where this is coming from today, this, this how do we work out our salvation, if you will? How do we flourish? And again, what she wrote in this article says, flourishing means becoming everything we're created to be. So if you have your places in Matthew chapter 25, this is one of those wonderful, wonderful um, just verses about how we are to work out our salvation, how we're supposed to be children of God. So if you would read with me, starting with verse 14, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, it says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. Now that it, you kind of go, okay, what's it? I don't see that because it is a pronoun. It has to do with something in the past. So if you take it and go back in verse one of chapter 25, it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like Ten virgins, but in this one it says it will be like a man going. So this is referring to the kingdom. So it says, for the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, Good and faithful servant. You have been found faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you, dece- you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard or harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the, but the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even when he has will, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Father, we're grateful for your word. Help it to live inside of us. Help it to be 
what we want to know so we can live out your life here where we live, work, and play. Thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's first start with, number one, start with finding your why. Start with finding your why. Because if you find out your why, what motivates you, the what doesn't really matter. The what comes out of your why. Look, look, down, at verses, look down at verses 20 and following. The servant that had five brought five more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. He said the same thing to the one who brought two. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Their goal, their motivation, their why was to please their master. Was to please the one who entrusted everything to him. That was their goal, their motivation, their purpose was to please the master. They were good. They were faithful their, their what was making him extra money, but their why was to please him. I want to read you Chick-fil-A's corporate purpose. I worked for Chick-fil-A for a couple years. God's chicken, right? Y'all with me? It's some good chicken. Some good chicken. Anyway, so Chick-fil-A's corporate purpose says this, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. It says nothing about making chicken. When I worked for them, I I read this, I thought, it doesn't say anything about being the best chicken makers because that's not their purpose. One of their what's is making good chicken. One of their goals is to be one of the best chicken places, but that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to be found faithful stewards and have a positive influence with all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That's their why. Have you ever thought about what your why is? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you go to work? You know, we might all have different whys. Our why might be, I need to make a living to get to the next paycheck. My why might be to provide for my family. I think our why should be a little bigger. I think our why should be bigger and more focused on God. Because whatever your why is, then your what may or may not matter. For instance, let me tell you what I mean. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, if you ever get an email from me, this verse is at the bottom. It's referenced in my, underneath my signature because this is my why. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord with all your, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And, your, and the second is like it, you shall love the Lord your God, you love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. You can use that why anywhere. I worked at Chick-fil-A, that was my why. I work here, that's my why. I worked at in-town suites as a hotel manager, that was my why. My why was to love God and love others. That's a pretty broad why, so my what doesn't really matter at times. I can sell cars, and that can still be my why. You understand? Does that make sense? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We should find our purpose in Jesus and in serving him. So maybe this week, maybe you're going, I don't even know what that, what that means to have a why. We'll pray about it. What's God put you here, not to do, what's God put you here to be? 
our doing comes out of our being. So I think we need to first start out with a why. These, these servants, their why, the first two anyway, the first why was to give glory to God, to serve the master, to serve the master. Number two, how should we work? How should we work? Our work is a witness to non-believers. Look back at verse 16. Let me go back to 15. So I wanna, this, is, this is a free Bible study, Bible study tip that I do sometimes for myself. So what I do sometimes, I'll, I'll take whatever scripture I want to study and I'll print it out on one piece of paper and I'll just start marking it up. I'll start looking at it and I'll write on it, I'll mark it up, I'll circle it and I'll see what God kind of brings to my mind. So when you look at 16, he says, and he who had received the five talents went at once. You see that? I love that because the one who was given and the, and the one with the two pie just they went at once. They went quickly. They went now. There's some of y'all that need to start now looking for your purpose. Some of y'all need to start now how to work. So for the last four or five years, I've been working with an organization called Fresh Start Visions. We go into prisons. We teach prisoners. We actually teach prisoners more of the how to be good employees. We have 12 character traits that we work through each week, and we teach the, teach the men how they should work. One of the things I like to do is, I get, when, if I get a chance, I get, to, I get to give my why, and I go, why do you do this? You know, so if you want to be a really good employee, let's say you want to, I, I talked to one gentleman one time, um, I said, so what if your why is to provide for your family? He goes, okay, that's a good why, right? Go home, I get to provide for my family. I said, are you going to go drive 110 miles an hour down the road? That doesn't really fit with your why. Are you going to go hang out with your buddies on the street corner and, and not go around with your, mom, your, your family anymore? Not a good why. You see, you see how it works, the why? Let me just go through these, these character traits that we go with these people. And I think as Christians, we should have these character traits. We should have every one of them and even more. We talk about self-control, thoroughness, Dependability, loyalty, enthusiasm, punctuality, determination, responsibility, sensitivity, endurance, truthfulness, and wisdom. And we do that. That works out of our why. So we have our why, and then our how is how we do what God's called us to do. How we fulfill that why, or how we fulfill our job. Now, I definitely don't do any of those perfectly. I'm work, still working on many of them. But it's one of those things where we look at it, and our witness at work, live, work, and play, our witness is how we do what we do. First Thessalonians 4, 9 says this, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. They're being a witness to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do is this and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as instructed, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Colossians 5, 6, 5 and 6 says this, Colossians 4, 5 and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Years ago, that was one of my hardest ones. So 
Um, I first came to know Jesus, and then God had to, the big dollar word is sanctification, grow closer to him. I had a problem with my mouth. I had a sailor mouth. That's kind of what I was doing. And it was obvious to everybody that I was just like everybody else. And I was praying because I, I, I heard somebody say about praying about your, your mouth. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pray about not using my mouth that way, not speaking those words or coarse jesting or cursing or whatever it is. And I thought, yes, I'm going to pray it and God's going to take it right away from me. You know, God doesn't work that way sometimes. I had to work it out. I had to work out my salvation. So what God did was as I spoke wrongly or I said a curse word, God pricked my heart and said, you got to go say you're sorry to that person. You have to go apologize to that person. So I, mean, I just remember walking up to this guy. I said some cuss words. I came up, you know, obviously it was years ago. And, and I went to, I said, I'm so sorry. I said that to you. And he goes, I don't know what you said. Because it was so ingrained in them that he, my talk was the same as his talk. My talk should not be the same as his talk. I'm a child of God and he was not. You see how God works. You see how God works. And we should be a little different. And these guys were different. These servants, they went out and they worked to make the master more money. I'm reading a book called uh, Chase the Lion. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. How about that for a title? Yeah, it's an interesting book. So he writes, uh, Mark Batterson's the, the author and pastor. He says, excellence honors God. So we need to get better and better at whatever we are called to do. Excellence honors God. So we need to get better and better at whatever we're called to do. I believe that. I'm not excellent... By any means, I'm working to get there at whatever I do. I want to be excellent in what I do. And let me give you, let me, this is something I was thinking about and Linda actually brought it to my attention. So I think as excellence, if you're a supervisor, owner of a company, something like that, and you see excellence, you need to reward excellence. If you're working next to somebody and you see excellence, you need to say, hey, that's great. You know? And if you're out and you see excellence, you need to say something. I've worked in customer service off and on many times, and all we ever get is complaints. Right? Anybody work in customer service? How many of y'all get complaints? That's all you hear. You don't hear, wow, they did a great job. So a couple weeks ago, I was in this, anybody went to a place in Somerville called Cup of Manna? Cup of Manna? It's a coffee place. Come on. It's great coffee. It's great coffee. So I'm sitting in Cup of Manna, um, with my, my Americano in a mug, just sitting there, just reading. Um, and as, I, as I'm sitting there, this lady, this young lady at the counter knows everybody by name as they walk in and knows their coffee drink. Smile. That's a gem. You don't get that anymore. You don't get that. At, I don't get that at Starbucks. I don't know about you. I don't get it any place else I go. I wrote an email to the person. I couldn't remember her. I didn't know her name, but I remember I wrote an email saying, lady at this place at this time. We need to see excellence, think about that, and we need to reward or at least thank people for that. I think that's huge, especially for Christians. I think we need to do that. So we start with our why. How is, then we talk about how we should work. Though, number three is we each have unique abilities. 
So these guys, these two, they had the two and the two, one that had the five, had unique abilities. They worked. Look back to verse 15. It says, um, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. He didn't give five to the guy that could only handle two. He didn't give two to the one that could handle five. He gave according to their ability. Everybody here has a gift. Everybody here has an ability that is God-given. You may not know that, but the Bible says you do. In Romans chapter 12, it says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to the faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Those men went, they traded, they worked, they invested. The word traded here is actually the root word where we get our word uh, to work. And they doubled what the master gave them. Do not compare. That's the biggest thing some, I think sometimes that we do is we, care, we compare abilities. We go, I should be able to do that. Or I want to do just like that person does. Well, don't do that. Don't compare abilities. If you don't know me well, I don't have a lot, lot of um, fixer-upper abilities. I guess is a good way to put that. I can do some things. So we did a little bit of remodeling in the house, Linda and I, and when I worked at In-Town Suites as a manager, I watched a gentleman and kind of helped him re- replace a toilet. Replace the toilet. So we're replacing our toilets. So I got one. I thought, I can do this. I watched a couple of YouTube videos. I'm fine. I got this. I get up there. We, we put the new floor down. That was horrible. If you don't know how to do it, don't put floor down. Put the floor down. Put the, put the toilet on there. I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome. I'm so excited because it looks good. It's seated and everything. I start putting water through and start flushing. I hear Linda from, the, from downstairs, it's coming through the ceiling. I'm like, turn all the water off. It was horrible. So what, what, what's, a, what's a good person to do? I called my pastor. So that doesn't mean call Joe when things happen. I said, this is, I may not have a job, but we already had this discussion earlier. Um, so we'll see. He'll, he'll tell you why in a minute. So Joe gave me some hints, and I fixed it, and I've done toilets now, and it's fine. But there's some abilities that we don't need to worry about. We don't, need, we don't have. But we each have our own abilities. God given us. So we need to look for those. We need to figure out what those are and see what, what abilities God's given us. So our abilities are to show God's glory to others. So we start with our why. How should we work? Uh, we each have unique abilities. And then there will be a time of settling accounts. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. It says, um, now after a long time. Now, this parable is about Jesus leaving for a long time, leaving his kingdom, leaving his servants in charge, and then him coming back. That's the big overall picture. So in this, it says, he left 
um, after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. That verbiage kind of means that as he left, they knew that there was going to be a reckoning. There's, they knew that they were going to have to settle accounts. They knew that when he came back, they were going to have to give an account of his stuff that they gave him, right? It was all, remember, it was all still his stuff. Just like here, right? This is all God's stuff, right? We're just called to be stewards of his creation, of his stuff. And they say, he settled accounts with them. And as he settled them, they came back. They looked. He talked to them. The timing was unexpected, but it was expected. It was expected. Now, if you go back to the first part of chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, Jesus talked about being ready for the second coming. So he talks about the parable of the ten virgins. So short recap, ten virgins waiting for their bridegroom. Five had lamps. Five had lamps with extra oil because they're waiting. They don't know how, they don't know how long it's going to be. The bridegroom comes back. He calls them, the ones with the oil and the lamp go, let's go. The ones without the extra oil go, can we have some of your oil? And the ones with the oil go, no, because if I give you some of mine, there won't be any enough for both of us. They say, go get your own. So the bridegroom takes the ones that were prepared with the oil to him. The other ones go get oil. By the time they come back, door's shut. And they say, hey, can we come in? He goes, I don't even know you. So verse 13 of chapter 25 says this, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. If you're a Christian, you know Jesus is coming, right? He's coming back. He's coming. We don't know when. But we do know that we're supposed to be ready. And being ready partly is being ready every day, working for his glory. That's how we are ready. If you're doing everything you can to be the best Christian you can, to be the best mom, dad, whatever, living biblically, you're getting ready each and every day. Because we don't know when he's coming, but we know he's coming. So how are you getting ready? Maybe some of y'all need to think about getting ready, period. Maybe you're going, I'm not, I don't even know what that means to be ready. Well, we can talk about that. The first step is, is, getting, is getting you a right relationship with who Jesus is. Being saved, being a follower of Jesus. And then the next step is just living that out. Being discipled, being a disciple. Learning what that means. Learning out your abilities. Learning about how we should work, how we should be, how we should do. So will you be ready when he comes? The, the, it looks like two out of three were ready, according to these verses. Two out of the three were ready. Number five, there will be a reward for our good works. Look at starting verse 21. He said, after the first one comes, brings his talents, verse 21 says this, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faith, faithful over the little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the second one came, brought his two. They made two more. And he says the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Well done, 
good. They were faithful, and he gave them more responsibility. In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You see that? He didn't say, well, you, you had two. You made me two more, so you're okay. But this guy that had five, wow, he's really awesome. He didn't say that. Because he rewarded their faithfulness, not their results. You see that? He, was, he rewarded their faithfulness, that they were faithful, not how much they made. He resort, re, rewarded their faithfulness, not their results. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever should draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's nothing wrong with knowing that God your Father rewards those who seek him. There's nothing wrong. I've heard people say, we shouldn't work for rewards. If you're working for your heavenly reward, I think that's okay. Because Jesus came so to give us this abilities to work. So that way, when Jesus comes back, he can say, well done. A good and faithful. That doesn't mean it's perfect. What it means is you're striving that way. You're doing what you can do with what God gave you. It means, as the writer of that blog I wrote said, flourishing means becoming everything you were created to be. Not created somebody else to be, but created what you're created to be. And if you're still here on earth, there's still something left for you to do. There's still something left for you to do. I believe that. So number six, I, I couldn't think of a good thing. I, I was trying to think of something clever to say for number six. It just ended up, don't be a sloth. So you can change it if you want to. I just couldn't figure out something. I'm not that clever. So look at verse 24. After he's given the re rewards for the other ones, entering the joy of your master, verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard or harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Let me stop right there because that word afraid is where we get our word phobia. He, he wasn't just fearful. He was afraid. I think, you know, there's people who go, I'm just scared of God. I'm not going to do a thing because if I do anything wrong, he's a big ogre. He's a big mean person. He's just looking to get me before I do something wrong. Well, that's not God. God is a good, good father that wants to help us to be our best. And this guy was so scared. He was scared into inaction. He couldn't do anything. He just hit it. He just took the talent and hit it. Let's pick that up here. You have, he goes, I was afraid, so I went and hid your talent in the ground, and here you have what is yours. I'm, I was wondering what he's thinking the master's going to say. Thanks. Thanks for just doing nothing with my stuff. But that's not what the master says. The master says, but the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I, I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have entrust, invested my money with the bankers at my coming. I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more, will more be given and he will have an abundance. 
but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He was scared. I think he was scared because he didn't really know the master. You know, I think you get to know Jesus in the Bible, you're not going to, don't get me wrong, I understand years ago when I grew up in, in, in the church when I was a kid, I was a little scared of God because he was a big God and I didn't really know him. And I thought maybe if I did something wrong, he'd be like my dad and punish me harshly. But our God's not like that. So I really believe this one that had one um, talent just didn't know the master the way we should know our master, Jesus. So he wasn't rewarded. He was chastened, then thrown out from the master. He was called wicked and sloth. I don't know about you, but that, that would hurt me, right? Wicked and sloth. Wicked? For just not doing what I didn't want to do? I couldn't do just wicked? That's what the master called him. So I want to replace the word um, sloth for sluggard in Proverbs 26. So just think about this. I'm going to read sluggard. So the sloth for sluggard. The sluggard says in verse 20, um, Proverbs 26, 13, the sluggard says, there's a line in the road, there's a line in the streets. And what does he do about it? As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. He sees, a, he sees danger and does nothing. He just turns over. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He's just so tired. He can't do anything. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So just don't be a sluggard. Don't be a sloth. Be, be something that God wants you to be. Be the person that God wants you to be. Don't waste what is given to you. So I look at this, I'm thinking, okay, God gave five and two. He obviously gave one talent to the one that he thought might not make it. I mean, that, that's just a, my thought. I don't know if that's a true thought. I just, it looks like he went, this guy may or may not make it, so I'm just going to give him one and test him. I think sometimes, I know that the Bible talks about God testing us, so I think God tests us with what we need to do right. In Luke 12, the end of verse 40, 48, it says, to everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. God has given us so much. He, he wants us to be the best people we can. He wants us to flourish. He loves us that much. He wants us to flourish in his ways and his desire and give him the glory. He wants us to work for him. So after Joe um, asked me to, to do this, he sent me a, um, a a blog from breakpoint.org. And I love the last prayer that was on this. It was a, um, it was a poem from um, Gerard Manley Hopkins. Now, the, some of the language is a little bit outdated, but you'll understand it as I kind of read through it. Uh, the writer writes this, It is not only prayer that gives God glory, but work. Smiting on an anvil, sewing, sawing a beam, whitewashing a wall, driving horses, sweeping, scouring. Everything gives God glory if being in his grace, you do it as your duty. To go to communion worthily gives God great glory. But a man with a dung fork in his hand, a woman with a slop pail, give him glory too. He is so great 
that all things give him glory if you mean they should. Meaning, whatever you're doing, it's just as valuable to God if you're doing it for him. Whether you're working at Chick-fil-A, whether you're sweeping up whatever, whether you're CEO or manager, whatever you do, whatever level God has put you in, if we do that for his glory and serving others, then that brings him great glory. And at the end, we'll hear, hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. One of my favorite verses, and we do it when we um, do baptism, is Matthew 5, 13 and 16. It says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and give light, and give, it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16 is, is the first, my, one of my favorite verses because it says this, in the same way as the light and the salt, in the same way let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Whatever we do, we should be doing so that way your work brings glory to God. As you do, your work points to, to God. Your, whatever your life does should be pointing back to God. Oh, you work so well because God gave me the energy. God gave me the talent. God gave me this. We don't care because I'm good. I'm a wonderful person. I've got all these skills. No, God has given me these skills. We witness our way as we talk about that. We should not just strive to get through this life we are in. We should thrive. We should flourish. We should not want to just get through this life. We should flourish in God's grace and God's mercy and show it to others. We are made to flourish. We're made to flourish. So as you go this week, think about that. Think about your why. Think about how you're working. Maybe some things at work need to change. Maybe I talked to a lady at the, at the conclusion of the first service, and she said, you know, I have that potty mouth. She goes, but I need to kind of change that. I said, people, she said, people may look at me differently. I said, I hope they do. And when they do, that's your opportunity to say, God's working on me. So my why is love God, love others. Be thinking about what your why is. Let's pray. Father God, you are awesome. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you give us our life. We thank you that you give us work. You give us people to run into. You give us places to go, people to see, opportunities to share the gospel. You give us opportunities just to live out our grace and our mercy in front of others. So Father, as we go today, as we leave this place, help us to be the best we can, knowing we may fail, but not striving because we fail, but knowing that we are going to be those people that you give grace and mercy to so we can give grace and mercy to others. Help us to thrive where you've placed us, where we live, work, and play. And help us to show grace and mercy and hope to others. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.